Welcome back, guys, to the JPS podcast. And in this episode, I am honored to have Mike Isretel and Eric Helms at JPS in Melbourne, in the flesh, together, talking about what they had discussed behind the scenes at the Ultimate Evidence-Based Conference. We chat about the areas, their viewpoints are divergent, when making assumptions based outside the realms of science is indeed okay, evidence-based practice and their approach in applying the science as practitioners, along with some of their own lessons and takeaways from the conference. This is quite a special episode, and again, it was super informative, and I couldn't think of two uh, experts who I would rather have sit with me and talk about all things science and practice. Without further ado, I introduce Dr. Eric Helms and Dr. Mike Isretel. Oh, you can't me. <laughs> That's going to be the intro for sure. All right, guys, we are here with Dr. Mike Isertel and Eric Helms, and we're at the Ultimate oh, Evidence. Oh, oh, Doc, oh Dr. PhD. Mike Isertel and Eric Helms. PhD. Boom. He asked me to be referred to as Dr. Mike Isertel. And what did I ask you to refer to? You yeah. didn't have a request. Dr. Eric Stacey. Helms, PhD. Esquire. The sandwich. Yeah. And we're in the back of my gym. With a video camera, as Mike pointed out, and we're going to be talking about a few things about the weekend um, and what the guys uh, have been discussing. So, first, I want to ask you both. Obviously, you've met in the flesh for the first time, which is rather cool. Yes. What have been some of the things you've been chatting about that I guess uh, you know would be interesting or of note to you know people in the evidence based community that you haven't had a chance to discuss, um, you know, online or on a public platform. Well, I think we had a cool convo about just kind of giving each other some mutual props as far as some of the stuff we've thought about programming that we've learned from one another, as I think on day two. Mm-hmm. Um, we often get pitted as opposing viewpoints, and uh, I think it's more nuance and perspective on similar viewpoints. And I think to pat ourselves both on the back, mm-hmm. we've, we've both influenced each other in positive ways. I've, For example, I've been uh, running with myself and some clients a uh, ascending set scheme. So it's volume going up mm-hmm. uh, throughout a mesocycle. And I'm finding it actually works a little better with my typical style of programming where I use that often like default but malleable fourth week deload. They're mm-hmm. definitely ready for it when they've done five sets per exercise versus say four or three. Um, and I see a little more consistent strength progress when you go into the next mesocycle. Yeah. Um, so that, that, I think that's kind of cool just to see how we, we've influenced each other's programming strategies a bit. Yeah, well, I, I think I told you this earlier, but. Um, I've been reducing my exercise variation block to block, keeping a lot of my core movements and just working up uh, super slowly in um, how much weight I'm putting on the bar versus more rapid uh, increments that I would take because I would ultra exercise more frequently. Mm -hmm. And I have begun to actually um, uh, progress in ways that I have not progressed in a very long time. And I would like to say I'm seeing muscularity increases from that, but I mean, that's clearly going to happen if you get stronger for reps. So I don't have to, you know, also say I'm detecting that. I can simply infer it. But um, another thing, interestingly enough, is conversations about muscle damage mm-hmm. and um, the relationship of that to hypertrophy. Um, definitely um, the way that I'm starting to think is. I used to think way back when that you had to get super sore to get your best results. I don't share that opinion with my old self anymore, in, in large part because of Eric's influence. 
So I'm actually more of the opinion now that um, you should be able to get a little sore in the muscle groups that get sore, um, but anytime you start to get really, really sore, that's might be a sort of volume dosing problem more than anything, and you're, you're doing too much. And you know, the variety of literature, the Dama stuff, I think, demonstrated something that um, we know that if for sure, if you get too much soreness, uh, too much damage is indicative, and too much damage means you have to focus much more on recovery than you do on adaptation, and they all come from the same well of limited resources. So if you spend so much of your resource recovering, you never really open up resources to adapt. I think there's definitely an other side to that where if you fail, if you really just take that super seriously and you fail to stimulate hardly at all because you're so afraid of damage, I think that there may be still a pretty decent role for damage, but it's in a very moderated sort of sense. Um, so it's kind of like if someone's a, a little bit sore and they can recover in a couple of days, I think that for many situations, that's almost ideal for hypertrophy, or in, in, any, in any case, is you're on a good start for hypertrophy. And then funny enough, those two concepts, that the volume ramping and that whole idea that of limited damage actually blend together really well because you start with two sets of exercise, you never get very sore. And you start with, then you go to three, the same level of soreness because the volume is but you're at, adapted a little better. Four sets, the same level of soreness, but then by then you're very fatigued centrally, and then you deload and then you repeat. So, which is, um, and it's really interesting, even today at the seminar, people ask, you know, when I start occlusion training, I get super duper sore, but will that go away? The answer is it will go away, but the next question, is why do you have to get super fucked up sore to begin with? Yep. Maybe you can just get a little bit sore mm -hmm. with a, a moderate volume or a lower volume that will definitely get you results, and then you can dope up your volume later uh, as the progression goes, um, and it all kind of blends together into something that makes a decent yeah. bit of sense. No, I, I totally agree with that. I think uh, the damage discussion, it, you know, anytime you have kind of two different, different opinions on something that's at the edge of what we know with science, people tend to silo themselves yep. and they make some mistakes. Like I think if you don't listen with nuance to some of the things I've said, like uh, damage should be a side effect of overload, chase overload, not damage. Damage is not causative. If you kind of take that and don't think critically about it, mm -hmm. you can become um, damage avoidance focused. And right? damage, yeah. So yeah. then all of a sudden you're like, all right, well I'm going to do four sessions per week and just do uh, yeah, a little <laughs> bit on each day. Uh, and you know, keep the RPE low, and now you're actually you don't not having damage as as, as a side effect of overload. You're not yeah, having overload. Yeah. So I, I think I think it's uh, just like Mike was saying, um, having a tapered way of, of managing damage, but understanding that anytime you overload tissue, there will be damage. Yeah. It's just a side effect of uh, of, uh, and it could be more than that as well. I'm open to that possibility for for sure. I think. Damage should be happening. It shouldn't be interfering with your progress. Yep. Is, is essentially where I think we both agree. Even if maybe I'm uh, betting more money on the fact that damage is not playing a causative role, and Mike is saying, you know, there's there's still a shot at it being there. Yeah. The interesting thing is that despite that slight variance in our opinion, the actual programming output is it's quite similar. similar. Yeah. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Oh, I absolutely would agree with that. There's also a really interesting. Sorry. No. no. You know, there are potentially two ways you could disagree with someone in sort of evidence-based fitness. 
One way is your interpretation. You. <laughs> no, oh, sorry, three ways. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Emotional, and then two actual <laughs> ways. Um, I'd say a fuck you is really so much of a disagreement as a statement. What you feeling? Um, so, emoting. That's right. Emoting. That's right. Affect. So um, I think that you can disagree in one way, which is disagreeing about interpretations of the current state of the evidence as it stands. Another way you could disagree is about beyond evidentially observable extrapolations. We know this, but we definitely don't know much beyond that. What about physiology, about training experience, and about hints that the current state of the evidence gives us for this realm outside of it? Mm -hmm. How do we like sort of just find some pathways? Because yep. most of training is in that deep woods area. Like yep. science has studied very little directly, so um, it's interesting because. Uh, so Eric and I, in our interpretations of the available evidence, are nearly unanimous. I mean, there's not a, a lot of differences between evidence-based folks between interpretations because fucking evidence speaks for itself, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's the and, yeah, yeah, but like you know, we definitely differ in some ways about what paths we take after the evidence has spoken about the stuff the evidence can't directly speak to. We might have our own ideas about how things work, but the thing is, is that I can never say that Eric's ideas are preposterous, ridiculous, and that I don't seriously consider them. If someone asks me, hey, do you think Eric's right or wrong about this? I'm going to say, uh, two things. I'll tell you what I think about it, and I'll tell you that whatever Eric thinks about it, and at this point I know I'm well enough to not even know what that is, to say I, I take seriously what he thinks about it because he's a thinking guy, and he's super sharp, and he knows his shit, and he's training too, and he's training other people. So I could very well be right. He could very well be right. If someone's like, okay, you know, money, I'm like, who's right? I'd be like, I don't know, man, 50-50. Like, you know, clearly I don't form opinions as a joke to, that, that I think I'm wrong and not like a contrarian yeah. for its, its own sake. But um, it's, it, and there's, a, a, you know, quite a few people I could add to that list where, like, you know, had debates with you and I have had debates on all debates, discussions with Menno. Yeah. Menno could be right and the two of us could be wrong. You have had a debate with Menno. Yeah, it was exactly like a discussion, and yeah. a debate. We mostly just giggled at each other. So, <laughs> didn't he wear war paint? He did wear war paint. I didn't. And know. I became frightened and ran. But they restrained me. Returned yeah. back to the stage where I shit myself for the next hour. Um, dodged the occasional harpoon that he threw. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so it's uh, it's kind of it's one of those things where I think when people are uh, sufficiently intelligent or not misinterpreting the way just general phenomena operate. And um, fully informed about literature for sure. So, and then once they start extrapolating where literature does not reach, um, it's a, just a lot of really good ideas. And then it's up to folks consuming our sort of intellectual produce to decide what they think about. No, like, I think one of the questions we get a lot is like, look, Eric or Mike, what do you guys think of like, each other's ideas? And it's like, well, I think Eric pretty much told you exactly what he thinks about it, which is exactly what I think about it. <laughs> like, uh, what do you think about it? Yeah. It's up to you to make a decision because we've, we've given our best guesses. Yeah. Um, and I, it, that does assume we're coming from a good faith place as well. That we, yeah. We're not trying to fuck anyone over or sell any kind of products that are not based on you know reasonable things. Because yeah. you know, there's myself, Eric, 10 other people, and then there are like, like we're like these little flies, and then there's like Godzilla, Dr. Oz, eating fucking cities, yeah. and not a good faith, like, I'm not interested particularly to debate with Dr. Oz about anything, because, like, I know Eric just wants to make everyone more jacked and leaner, et cetera, and sort of enlighten people to make them better. Um, I certainly built an entire company around that purpose, mm -hmm. as has he. Yeah, I'm not so sure a lot of other folks are doing that, and yeah. clearly not, so I think it's great that we have this sort of evidence-based community 
that we can just offer best guesses and then at the end of the day shake each other's hands and realize that we really don't like each other as people. No. It's just like no, no. chalk and it's like, like nails on a chalkboard yeah. type shit. But, uh, but you know... Um, you know, there's uh, there's this. I think we sometimes lose perspective with these, like internally. That's fun. It's fun. A little rivalry bullshit. Yeah, it's sure. fun. But like, there's there's people out there. Like, what's the one bitch's name? Tracy Anderson. Mm. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, like a trillion Instagram followers over just like literal, like reversals of the truth, at best, just or just, just, just to get followers. Like, yeah. If you like have monkeys type on typewriter, they would like instantly be producing more intellectual content than her, and and it's. It's sad because, like, I mean, what's her? How many people know about her versus folks like, you know, 3DMJ? Like, mm. yeah, you could add all us together and we would be 20% of their followers. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 And another thing that I've been uh, thinking about and what creates division between approaches among people who are trained themselves, train others, been around a while and read everything, is typically what level of comfort, and I think this largely comes down to personality um, and experience, how much testing you've had in the field of making assumptions past the limits of science. Yeah. Um, so the more specific recommendation you give as a quote-unquote evidence-based practitioner, uh, the further from the, the definitive literature you have to get. And that's, there's just no way around that, unfortunately. And I think you can look along that spectrum, and it's not like someone is less or more evidence-based, it's how close are they to being a practitioner. Like, for example, if Stu Phillips is going to report the outcome of research, mm -hmm. he's not going to tell you, therefore, do this with your nutrition, here's how you set up your diet, here's how to actually, actually do training, here's what you do in the off-season. Yeah. You know, so I think each one of the people at the conference has a different level of comfort as to how well they're going to, or how far they're going to extrapolate. And deviate, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes that can, that can be a negative or a positive. You know, you can be left with, uh, without a clear solution to certain problems. If, for example, I kind of trend a little more conservative, but I still try to give an answer to everything. Um, Where do I trend? I honestly don't know. Uh, I would say you're less conservative than I am. Yeah. I think, um, like, like for example, um, I'm not picking on anybody. I, I remember, you know, like Steve Hall. He has the infographics where he'll tell you his 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 take on what the appropriate volumes are for each body part, mm -hmm. like MRV or MEV mm -hmm. for each one of those specific body parts. And I see those and I go. I wouldn't be comfortable saying that. I don't, I don't know how much more I'm supposed to do for like for everyone for your chest. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing wrong with them though. They're not unreasonable. It's like they're they're more than ten, almost always, and they're somewhere between ten and twenty. And I'm like, you're not wrong. I don't know that you're right, and that's probably fine. So sure. Um, and so long as you guard against someone becoming dogmatic about that information, which I think you know, I mean, Steve does a good job with. Well, yeah. wrong with it. Well, the original articles that I put out for all those landmarks, um, every single article says. This is from a combination of literature, experience, and coaching, and there's huge variances here, and the most important thing is you read the part of the article that how to find your own volume landmarks. Right. These are just places to start. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. Because I, I try to envision myself as a very, uh, you know, sort of more likely to commit type 1 than type 2 error kind of person. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'm super on the type one side of like I'm just this is how you do things. I sometimes I find myself being too vague and generalized to even have any practical recommendations. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. so I guess you and I are more on the conservative spectrum in yeah. that regard. But m perhaps I'm slightly less conservative than what you're making. So. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, um, you know, something I spoke with you about in terms of you know how much gray uh, you provide with your recommendations. Um, you know, it's not well consumed by the vast majority of people. Most 
practitioners do want answers. Most fitness folk do want, you know, more dichotomous answers because it's yeah. obviously a lot easier to think that way. And I think that's why, you know, sometimes it takes a lot longer for people to learn how to approach and apply, you know, the the advice of someone who might be more conservative and, you yeah. know, adds caveats, context, everything. I think that's something that, um, yeah, a lot of fitness professionals that I've definitely witnessed this weekend may have a hard time dealing with because even some of the questions that people ask have been very much, so what is the yeah. answer? Yeah. You know? I think um, I wrote an article about this on the 3DMJ blog. I think I, I titled it something like On Systems and Principles. Mm. And I think the, the average person who's just kind of new to a scientific approach to training doesn't fully understand the difference, from the, the difference between a, a principle mm. and a system at the start. Um, you know, they're used to a fitness community where someone will sell you, let's say, 531. There's nothing wrong with 531. I think Wendler does a pretty good job of it. You know, a lot of people have got success with it. I prefer 642, but 753 personally. Wow. Shout out to Matt Ogus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, the, but the point is, the point is, is they, they will be like, hey, Eric, like, should I be, what do you think about 531 compared to the pyramids? And like the, the, the muscle and strength pyramids, they have example What's a pyramids program. <laughs> There's no such thing. Yeah, like, but there are example programs in them. But they're just here's how you could systematize these principles. So I think if you can understand the difference between a system and a principle, and you can start to tell, oh, like Stu Phillips, he's always giving you information that tells you about a principle. Somebody who's who's really good with systems, but is still evidence based. Nish, Chad Wesley Smith. Yeah, Chad Wesley Smith. Yeah. Nick Tuminello. They will, will, will share systems that are based on those principles frequently. And you can't be like, and PubMed says, you know, that, that's not the same thing. So I think so long as someone understands the difference and the value in both, if you understand the principles, then you use that as a lens to evaluate a system. And, or derive a system. Or derive a system, exactly. I think that's what we've both done. You know, like yeah. that's how we train people. That's, that's really what you do. That's what we talked about on yeah. uh, AO recently. Uh, I mean, AO. But, um, so I think once you understand principles, and that's you spend a lot of time learning that basis, you use that to gauge whether or not uh, a system violates them. Mm -hmm. uh, because if it doesn't, okay, cool, you can you can think about it. And then you sort of have to really guess as to whether it's optimal. We don't know that, but basically, if you set it up around the principles and it doesn't violate anything, it's pretty much fair game. Mm -hmm. And then it's just logic. And it's just assessing and adjusting based on the individual response. I've, I've had. Uh, when I used to teach grad students back in Missouri, one of their projects was take a common training program. Uh, we had, I think, seven principles that we learned in class, seven training principles. Pro-visa? Say what? Is it the pro-visa? Progression, reversibility, overload, variation. If that's the acronym for the, for the seven. Uh, it's similar. Yeah. Slightly different names, but yeah, very, very, much, very, very much the same stuff. And I had them give a grade and an explanation, of course, on every single principle that the program uh, was showing of a grade of meh, nuh -uh, or knock out of the park. Yep. And if you can get a program that does a lot of knocking out of the park uh, and very little not uh, not so good, then you've got a pretty good program. So it's, it's almost a sort of an, uh, a more objective way to grade programs as to how good they really are. And, well, folks that have been doing it in a long time, they just look at a program and be like, there's enough shit here that I'm just abandoning the search. Yeah. But like something like, you know, this programs I have no nothing to do with. Like Chad Wesley Smith has some programs, uh, more advanced versions of the Juggernaut method, where I'm like, okay, it scores perfectly in every single one of those. Like I guess it wasn't 
he's a co-author on Scientific Principles book, which, by the way, to, to what you said about the systems versus principles, at the, at the first release of the book, we got some negative feedback for this. Um, but in, in the retrospect, I think it was a really, really good decision. We put zero sample programs into mm -hmm. Scientific Principles of Strength Training. And that book, mm -hmm. like, has been super well-reviewed. A lot of people are just, oh, it's the fucking new Bible of training. Great, <laughs> right? It's a mythical book. That's so, so, so sweet. But um, It becomes timeless, though, like. Well, so, like, there's, I didn't, I did not want to put sample programs yeah. in there because I literally don't know if I can do justice to writing a program without inevitably constraining people's ideas of what a program should look like. Mm -hmm. the, the frequency of training I would pick would be a certain frequency. And people would be like, but what about 40s a week? What about five? What about one? But that can all work if you adjust other factors. So we left the book as only a principles discussion. And then uh, sort of the negative side was like, well, like, so what do I do with this? My real answer is like, Motherfucker, if you, you didn't write the book, you, didn't didn't write, you should be able to at least select a program from other ones, or you should be able to build your own program. And I think it was, uh, it's, it's super cool that, yes. Yeah, and, and also, like, principles aren't for everybody, because some people don't have the time. Yep. Uh, they just have to rely on hopefully getting the right people to write them the right systems, yeah. uh, or know the principles cursorily enough to pick a program that you know filters the systems pretty yeah. well. But for a lot of people, especially fitness professionals, if you are a fitness professional, must know the principles, systems. Uh, the, the, one of the worst things ever, and I'm sure you guys have all dealt with this, talking to folks who are doing seminars, and if someone who's asking a lot of questions, real good, like, you know, it's great that they're asking questions, you realize that their knowledge base consists only and exclusively of an agglomeration of named systems, the structure of which they have never managed to filter down to principles. So, like, what do you think about this one? You're like, well, this and that. Like, mm-hmm. Next 20 minutes, like, yeah. what do you think about this other system? You're like, well, this and that, because of this and that principle. They're like, uh-huh. They have 20 minutes later, like, we're the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, just like, yeah. these are just names to you. It's like, um, you know, what do you think about this ice cream? What do you think about that flavor ice cream? What do you think about this brand? Well, like, if you're, like, a, like an ice cream chef, I'm sure that's a thing, like, um, like a food scientist, you're going to be like, well, on textural quality, this ice cream rate's yeah, better. Yeah. But on this and that, this ice cream rate's better. But, like, you know, what the fuck do I know? And they ask shit. I'm just like, what do you think of Cold Stone Creamery? They'd be like, I think it's fine. I don't know what to tell you. You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so it's one of those things. Like, Are we going to discuss flavor science? Or right, right yeah. exactly. Flavor yeah. <laughs> science. So uh, it's one of those, like, uh, if you really in this game to learn a ton, get with the principles of training. And then every, it's like, like everything makes I, sense. I don't want to overrate it, but it's like seeing the Matrix for the first Absolutely. time. Absolutely. Um, Being able to deconstruct and, and reverse engineer programs. Programs are really simple. You use the analogy last week when Neo walks in and the human just he starts seeing numbers. It's like the same when you understand the principles. You can yeah. look at a program and you say, oh, yeah, it's specific. what you did there. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And a question I want to ask you both that's a little bit abstract, I guess, uh, given the nature of the discussion, because usually I ask fitness based stuff. But people perceive you as an expert, and with that, they presume that you know everything. Correct. You guys would be the first to admit Accurate. <laughs> that you don't know everything, that you're still learning. So what is one thing that you've learned this weekend, obviously, you know, having presentations from your peers, um, you know, yeah, shoot, like? James Krieger. Mm. Boom. James Krieger is a real expert, and Eric and I are just fake fucking online idiots. Um, <laughs> We're just fortunate he has less followers, so we can steal his ideas. <laughs> <Yeah. right now. laughs> um, so, uh, you know, when I listen to Eric's presentations, I nod my head a lot, and then I pause for the stuff I disagree with, and then I nod my head a lot for the shit I agree with. 
I saw Eric doing literally the same thing for my presentation. <laughs> and then James goes, and Eric and I are both like, knowledge yeah. overload. And it's just like his his um, survey of the literature is always so comprehensive. Yeah. It's so up to it's it's actually better than up to date. It's like this is it's a like don't talk about it. Like, oh my god, I feel like I have secrets from other people. He is up to dating it. Yeah, yeah. He's, like, <laughs> he's the guy putting it out. It's yeah. like it's like him and him and Brad Schoenfeld, who I don't know must run up. I'm actively worried about child labor research assistance because there's no way it's so efficient. Yeah. yeah, that's why he refused to. <laughs> there's a variety of jokes. I'm just just want to disclose the employee list. Yeah, it's like, yeah. who works for your lab? He's like, who doesn't work for my lab? Next question. You're like, all right, that was weird. Uh, but it's one of those things. Did like, you sign an NDA? That's right. Talk about this. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's just super cool. Um, uh, you know, so, so what did I learn is I learned that James is a bad motherfucker and I already knew that, I just relearned it. Mm -hmm. And also just, um, you know, his, his survey of the um, literature on frequency for hypertrophy training and volume uh, tells me two things, well, one of which I was already suspecting. In a volume-equated setting over the week, frequency is largely irrelevant. Largely, not wholly, of yeah. course, and situationally it might be very important. Mostly, it's like, let's just get it in. Two to four times a week is probably a golden zone, but if you're doing one time a week per body part with enough volume, you're probably still okay. Um, you just have some very peripheral kind of problems. And also, um, under certain conditions, your maximum recoverable volume, I had to say it, uh, can be quite high, and, and you know, it's funny because I got billed sort of coming out early as the crazy volume guy, and I'm reading mm -hmm. some of these studies now and being like, what the fuck, are these people dead? Yeah. Um, so it turns out that under particular conditions, um, volumes can be super high, and we'll, you guys will find out later about the study he's referring also to. also overlap between isolation and compound. Oh, and, 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 that, and that's what I was going to get to before I was so Sorry. rudely interrupted. <laughs> Who is this man? Steve Rogers over here. Um, we, we interrupting the part of the culture. <laughs> hey, Joel. Yeah. Hey there. Hey there, boss. So, um, you know, anytime you see anything reported in the literature, anyone doing anything, the caveats, the intricacies, the situational elements are always important. Because when someone said, I did 40 sets per muscle group, are they talking about direct sets or indirect plus direct sets from compounds. Um, yeah, what developmental age were they? How strong were they? If, if a 40-year-old woman new to training, uh, training for a year, former marathon runner, was doing 60 sets for quads, I wouldn't bat a fucking eye. But if an IFBB pro who weighed 280 pounds was doing that, I'd be like, oh my God, is that deck a dead? Or yeah. is it full or partial range of motion? You know, I could do a, a, as many half, squat or half squats as you guys want and not get it fucking damaged at all. This is bullshit. What's the proximity to, <laughs> what's the proximity to failure, yep. right? Like, I mean, in a, hey, you know, half squats of, of RPE, you know, like four, it, I mean, it, it, 10 sets of that is like kind of not really training. Uh, I so think that's just called using and, the bathroom a lot. Yeah, that's you know? exactly, which I use the bathroom yeah. a lot. <laughs> that's been so, the theme of the weekend. Yeah, so it's, it's one of those things. And, and, and the thing is, James didn't present the literature as, here's the studies, everyone got to train a ton. Yeah. He's like, here's what the literature says. Now let's think about what the intricacies are, so on and so forth. And he's super good in Q&A. Basically, it's a James Krieger love fest. Um, that was what I learned. Yeah. I was one of them that was in love. Yeah, honestly, everything Mike said. Um, in addition, I am also just continually impressed by some of the more pure practitioners who are very much 
also evidence-based. It's just they're in the trenches and not necessarily con constructing theories, but constructing systems and sharing some really cool stuff in the trenches. Uh, and like Nick Timonello presented a lot on effective strategies for rowing. Uh, which I, I was, was rowing really next to him earlier, and I was like, I know this motherfucker judging me. I know, <laughs> I I know I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> he didn't say anything after I was done rowing. I'm like, is that good? Is that bad that he didn't say anything? He's looking like, for the dog that's for what <laughs> back needs to work. That's right. right. <laughs> so yeah, just um, the synthesis of, of experience and biomechanics, uh, I, I really enjoyed. Um, I always learn something when, when Nick speaks. Same thing with Brett, obviously more in the hip extension realm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, James does such a good job of he has so many talents. So the, the practical stuff I really got a lot from, and then just to kind of reiterate what Mike said, um, James is like, you know, you're like, yeah, I can be a jack of all trades or a master of one. And he's like, I'm just going to master everything. You know, like, so he has the statistical understanding and the involvement in the actual science right now so, such that he can have an ongoing meta-analysis of all the training variables. So there's no way you can really, like, that's real science, man. Yeah, I'm like, God he damn is it. science. Yeah, so like an up uh, auto updating meta analysis is literally science writ large. Yeah. Why yeah. don't you the scientist. There's theory. one other person who's like who's done that a few times. It's Greg Knuckles. Like mm -hmm. honestly, between Greg and James, I'm I'm continually feeling inadequate. Oh yeah, in I'm always like, what are they saying? What are they saying? People are like, hey, yeah. what do you think about this? I'm like, what are Greg and James saying? What is Brad Schoenfeld researching? Yeah. So, what does Eric think? Okay, sweet. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. Like uh, you know. As someone who is actively producing research right now and also trying to do other things, uh, I'm just uh, in awe of the fact that, that James does what he does because he's also has a family. He's, he does a lot. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, anyway, I think, yeah, the big take homes were that um, exposure to new data, which is kind of what science is about, it's yeah. a continually changing uh, set of information. Um, so the ship slowly steers in new directions that we weren't maybe aware of. Uh, and then uh, the practical application of that, I thought was a really good one this weekend because we got to listen from guys like Nick and Brad, um, sorry, Nick and Brett, and then also listen to guys like James uh, talk about the, the more hardcore nuanced data. I take back what I said earlier. Um, I think it's important as a real evidence-based uh, guru to, uh, to just make sure that everyone around you when you're at a presentation, first of all, you've got to be on your phone a lot. You're not really paying attention because there are other people artist and you already know the shit. Right. Second of all, when other people watch you for your reactions of some shit, like they're like, oh, here's new research, they look at you, right? Because they're like, oh shit, do you know that? You're like, you just do this. Because yeah. you're like, of course I already knew that, right? <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. Or, or like, if they don't know that, if they're not looking at you, other people, and there's like new research, all you gotta do is be like, I already knew that shit. Mm -hmm. Don't remember that I told you that shit? And clearly they don't remember because you never told them shit because you never knew it. You just gotta lie. Convincing lie, good facial expression, and, and you're the shit. You're a guru. It's got to blend the, the polyquin with the evidence-based. Say something bad about polyquin. Oh, shit. About, I was going to say I'm going to beat your ass, but I'm going to need a blood type first because the way I have to attack you is dependent on your blood type. <laughs> and mine. <laughs> See, if I'm an AB and you're an AB plus. Well, I'm, like, I'm about to attack you. I'm like, have you considered these vitamins, sir? That's my attack. It's $700 for pill. Your cortisol is too you high. You have to take forever. Right? You need to die. Yeah, and so buy these pills. the cortisol gets too low, then you need home vitamin. Man, I, I think I need to spend some money. Do we make sense here? No, we make dollars. Shit, son. <laughs> Australia is fucking hood shit over here. This is great. Yeah, show us your uh, best Australian impersonation. Mike has been practicing all weekend. Show us Mike. I can swear on this? Yeah. I assume yeah. yeah. Oh, you can't die, man. Fuck off.
That's going to be the intro for sure. <laughs> Guys, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure having you here in Melbourne for the UABC. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, man. Thanks, guys.